we had something very, very special happen on Football Sunday in the NFL. I'll get to it in a minute. That's that's your tease. But I think overall, that Sunday was a little... I mean, we had a lot of good games in the 11 o'clock hour, 10 o'clock hour. 11 o'clock hour here in Wyoming, I guess. But the 1 o'clock hour officially on the East Coast. We had a lot of good games, but it kind of felt like they were like poorly played good games, I guess, if that makes sense. The whole AFC South can just be thrown into the ocean. That is the worst, 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 worst division in football. It is impossible to watch. You know what? They, they keep trying to want to move. I'm not trying to not trying to want to move a team to London, but they keep bringing, you know, teams to London to try to like gauge the the interest in professional uh, American football over there on, you know, in, uh, across the pond, if you will, in London. They're going to Germany this year as well. They keep trying to gauge the interest that they have in it. And I think personally, if we want to have. The NFL, I think this is the best idea. I think the NFL, what they should do is just move the entire AFC South over to London so we don't have to watch them anymore. How about that? That's the best idea. The best team in that division, in my opinion, so far, four games in, which really doesn't mean anything, uh, it feels like the Jaguars. It feels like the Jaguars are the funnest team to watch so far in that division. The Colts have looked dreadful uh not fun to watch they are off their offense looks very uninventive just kind of kind of like the 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 broncos looks um the same in in a similar way uh jonathan taylor hasn't been able to get going yet for the colts who was the he was the reigning uh rushing champion last season and the titans i mean were what a year away a season away from them being in the playoffs even though they lost to the to the Bengals. a lot of people were talking about this time not this time last year maybe more a little bit later in the year last year like late november i think because there were a couple teams that were going down with like injuries and stuff like that and i remember like people throwing out the idea that the titans would be i think it was right after they went to los angeles and i think they beat the rams on like a sunday night or a monday night football game or something like that last season and i remember people throwing out the idea that the titans at that point in the season should have been should be uh super bowl favorites and now we look back on that and looking at them now, we're looking at them now and it's like, what were we thinking? That's the volatility of football. If I've ever seen it, like I, I can't imagine, I mean the Titans they're they have, you know, a decent squad, you know, not, not terrible, not great. Very middle of the pack. Derrick Henry still looks like he, he's that dude, you know, but Ryan Tannehill, we know is not that dude. Uh, and he showed it last year in the playoffs and their defense has definitely taken a step backwards compared to the last few years. But man, I mean, it's just weird how far we've come in almost a year's time from that, from the public, not maybe not the whole public, but at least a decent amount of the public saying that the, that the Titans looked like the most well-rounded team looked like a Super Bowl favorite after they went to Los Angeles and beat the Rams at home or something like that in a primetime game. That was something that happened last year. And now I'm like the whole AFC South can move to the United Kingdom. And I don't know how many people would miss out. I apologize if you are Colts, Titans, Jaguars, and um, I'm forgetting a team. I see that's the AFC South for you. I'm scrolling here. Now I got to remember the AFC South team, the Texans, of course, who would for who would forget about the Texans? If you're a Texans, Titans, Colts, Jags fan, I apologize if I'm if I'm offending you, but man, you guys have had some pretty bad football for a while. The Jaguars were were basically a quarter away from, or a half away from going from beating the Patriots in the AFC 
uh, AFC Conference Championship, uh, what was that, like 2015, 2016, something like that? So like seven years ago, that feels like a fever dream. That feels like a, a Blake Bortles was their quarterback. I don't think Blake Bortles is in the league anymore. If he is in the league, I don't know if I could guess what team he's on because I haven't seen his face in years. And that he almost quarterbacked solid defense to the Super Bowl. That was like seven years ago. That is mind boggling to me. Now, the Jags feels like they've come back a little bit. Trevor Lawrence looks like he's kind of the dude like he's going to be a quarterback that they'll be able to build around for the next 10, 15 years or what have you. But it's just they've been so bad for so long. Uh, the Titans are finally somewhat good, even though, you know, obviously a year removed from everybody saying they were possible Super Bowl favorites. The Colts last year looked like a team that nobody really wanted to play in the playoffs. And now it looks like somehow Matt Ryan is a downgrade from the offense that they had last year with Carson Wentz. I don't know how that makes any sense, but that's what it looks like right now. And then the Texans, you know, they're still the Texans. Um, I, you know, AFC South just go away. I don't want to watch any of their games anymore. I don't, I don't want to have to, the first game of the season they played against one another, it was a tie. It was like, that's just peak AFC South. It feels like if anybody is going to find a way, and this isn't even possible, but if anybody's going to find a way in football to not make the playoffs because of their division, because of their record overall, it's going to be a team in the AFC South. Like the winner of that division is going to find a way to not make the play somehow not make the playoffs, even though that's not even possible. The, the winner of the AFC South should not make the playoffs based on what we've seen so far because it's that embarrassing. It's just terrible. It's just bad football. It's not fun to watch other than kind of the Jags. And you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll throw in like if Derrick Henry has a really good like 180 yard game on like 30 carries because that's how the Titans play football. They're like, we're going to run Derrick Henry into the ground until he has to retire at like 28 years old like they did Adrian Peterson with the Vikings because we've ran him into the ground. Like I'll watch one of those games where Derrick Henry has like 30 carries for 185 yards just because it doesn't look like anybody can stop that man. He looks like a, a man playing amongst boys and I'll do that. I'll throw in Jonathan Taylor having one of those games as well. But other than that, if it's just like, if I don't know what's going to happen ahead of time, then there's no reason to watch any of the AFC South games because they're so, they're just not, not like none of the teams are good in that, <laughs> in that, in that division. None of them feel like they're even close to being contending teams. Um, Welcome to, that was a little rant on the AFC South, just because it was on the mind when I started this. Uh, welcome to, though, janitorial, some janitorial stuff. Welcome to the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast. I'm your host, James Timberlake. Thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, you can listen to this podcast anywhere you want, literally anywhere. If you if you get on a rocket right now, go to the moon or Mars or something like that, you can listen to it on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts. You can tune it up for the road. It's not going to last that long. It's not going to last as long as your trip to the moon or Mars or anything like that. And you know, it's gonna, I'm going to be a little bit short on time there, but making it, we can cut like a one twenty fifth of the time in terms of, I don't know how long it takes to get to the moon or Mars, but you, you know what I'm talking about? We can cut a little bit of time in it. So if you're listening to this, if you're listening to this on sharedmedia.com, podcast, wyoming.com or whatever, just know you can take this on the road with you as well. Spotify, iTunes or Apple podcast, Google podcasts, whatever podcasting platform you can listen to it. You can listen to it there on your phone, wherever you'd like, that's what you can do. And I appreciate you wherever you're listening, though. I appreciate it very much. Uh, make sure to hit that. Make sure to, to leave a follow. I'd very much appreciate that, just so you know when I'm posting and what time I'm posting. At all times, whenever I do make a, no, a new post, you know that it's posted. Uh, and then also leave a rating, five stars, if you do not mind. Uh, kind of gets me into the in the world a little bit more, into the podcasting world a little bit more, the trending section, if you will. Um, and I greatly appreciate that, so thank you very much. 
Welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. We're talking a little bit about a couple different things. Um, I want to, even though it's kind of been beaten like a dead horse, I want to talk about the Tua situation a little bit just because I thought it was a very interesting reaction that everybody on Twitter and kind of all over the place had to what happened to Tua last Thursday in the Thursday night game against the Bengals. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, MLB playoffs, they're right around the corner. Uh, I'm recording this at kind of a bad time, to be honest with you, because the Mets as of me recording this right now, are playing the Nationals, and depending on that game, will depend on like the final seating arrangement for the last spot in the NL in the NL uh, playoff bracket. But we're just going to assume that that's not happening, and we're going to go with it as it is. Um, so we'll just move on with that. The we're going to talk about that, and then we're going to talk about. I'm also going to make predictions for the NBA, MLB playoffs. So whatever that means, I mean, nobody don't take my word for it or anything like that. We're going to talk a little bit about Aaron Judge's uh, home run chase. I thought the reaction to him, well, I guess maybe the reaction more to the live look-ins, quote unquote, that like everybody's doing, ESPN's doing, MLB Network, even though that's kind of what they do. But ESPN, I guess mainly what ESPN is doing, uh, kind of funny. And you know, I, I started having the same reaction that everybody else did. Uh, in that sense, because it did get kind of super annoying, especially on like a Saturday. They don't cut into it on ML- on Monday Night Football. Of course not. Absolutely not. But when in the middle of like a college football game, I think it was like Ole Miss versus Kentucky over the weekend, which was a good game, like a very, very good game. Uh, it lasted until the final minute. Um, they were having live look-ins to Aaron Judge's chasing of 62 and, you know, seventh on the home run list. According to the MLB, I'm not saying that that is... According to Major League Baseball, seventh on the all-time single single season home run record. So I thought the reaction to that was very interesting, and I'd like to talk about that uh, as well as like I kind of I kind of kind of hinted at it. Uh, college football, college football weekend, as well as the rest of the NFL. So let's start with let's start with some MLB because we'll wrap this up relatively quickly. The MLB their playoff uh, their playoff picture is basically more or less figured out if you will like i said the only two that are we're missing out on are the mets who are technically sitting at the four seed as of recording this uh the first wild card team yeah first wild first place wild card team i guess if you will uh but they're still in competition with the braves to try to win the nl east i think if the mets sweep out in this last series against the nationals they will jump the mets or the the braves excuse me for the nl east lead and they win the division which will make them the two seed in the playoffs. Um, but if they lose any game against the nationals, then they will be the fourth seed in the playoffs. The first wildcard team, if you will. And the Braves, all they have to do is win pretty much. If they win one game, if they win one of their games against the Marlins this week uh, in their final three game series. Then they clinch, they win the, uh, the division, the NL East and look at the two seed in the upcoming MLB playoffs, uh, the NL playoffs. So, Let's take a look at the play- the playoff picture overall, shall we? Uh, for one, the one seed, the AL is already completely wrapped up. We have the seeding, all that jazz. Uh, the one seed in the AL will be the Houston Astros. The two seed will be the New York Yankees. Both will get buys into the divisional round of the playoffs, of so the American League playoffs. And then in the three seed is the Cleveland Guardians. The four seed, Toronto Blue Jays. The five seed is the Seattle Mariners. And the Toronto Blue Jays and the Seattle Mariners will play one another in the wild card round. So t- Seattle will travel to Toronto for a three-game series, and then uh, the sixth seed is the Tampa Bay Rays, and they will play the Cleveland Guardians on the road in a three-game series in that one. And all those series, wildcard series, start 
on Friday, October 7th. So this upcoming Friday will be the first of the wildcard games that are coming up uh, in the NL. Like I said, it's not fully fleshed out between the Braves and the Mets, but as it stands Tuesday at 4.22 p.m. Wyoming time, as it stands then, uh, we have the one seed will be the Dodgers, obviously. The two seed right now are the Braves, depending on what happens with the Mets. And then the three seed, St. Louis Cardinals, the four seed, uh, New York Mets, five seed, San Diego Padres, and the six seed, Philadelphia Phillies. All the teams that are... We're going to get, you know, are, are battling for a playoff spot have already gotten in. So there's not going to be anybody knocked out or anything like that in any of the wildcard spots. All the teams that will be in are already locked in in the NL. It's just a matter of shifting between the Mets and the Braves in terms of playoff position. So the Dodgers and right now the Braves will get by rounds into the NLDS. And then the three seeded St. Louis Cardinals will be at home taking on the Philadelphia Phillies in a three game set at home. Uh, the four-seeded Mets, as it stands right now, will be taking the on the San Diego Padres at home in a three-game set in that wild-card game as well. Again, like I said, I'll say it over and over again, that Braves and Mets one can change, but that's the only one that will change throughout the entire postseason picture as the season slowly comes to an end here. So, some you know, and an interesting thing I'll bring up here really quick. The Mets, as of Tuesday, have the same record. As the New York Yankees. Isn't that weird? That feels weird because it feels like the Yankees, I mean, uh, the Mets have felt like uh, they've really been treading water. And I guess it's mainly more because of the the Braves have really caught fire. Here's this in the in the second half of the season, whereas the whereas the Mets have kind of lost a lot of uh, key players to injuries and such like that. And they've kind of dwindled down a little bit, especially on offense. But it's weird to me to think that the Braves or excuse me, the Mets and the Yankees have the same exact record. I feel like the Mets are have been somewhat worse, even though the Yankees haven't looked very good in the second half either, to be honest with you. So now the, I guess as, as my preview of the playoffs, more or less Dodgers have been far and away the most dominant team in both leagues in, in, in the MLB in general, uh, they lead the league in uh, ERA whip FIP as well, or excuse me, not FIP second in FIP, one of the best pitching teams in the league, but they're also uh, very dominant in uh, offensively as well. Runs per game, 5.24. That's tops. Uh, not necessarily in the league, but in of these playoff teams. Let me preface it by saying that as well. Of these playoff teams, they're uh, top in runs per game. They lead in on base percentage. Uh, they lead in a slugging percentage. You know, uh, I actually, they're second in slugging percentage behind the Braves, but by .01. So, you know, same thing. Uh, OPS, they lead in OPS as well. So, Fantastic offensively, also very solid on the mound. Uh, they have one of the best pitching rotations in the game. Uh, they're allowing uh, 3.17 runs per game, which is the best in in the league. They have the lowest ERA uh, on their pitching staff as well. So they've been far and away the best team, which is not really a surprise to anybody who's been watching baseball. 110 wins, 50 losses, truly an incredible team. Best team in the league by far throughout the entire season. No doubt. Uh, the other one seed, the Astros, they have been much more of a dominant pitching staff than they have been an offensive staff. Uh, they're right behind the Dodgers in terms of ERA, a 2.92 ERA, uh, and a whip of 1.099 as well, which is also just right behind the uh, the Dodgers. A FIP actually leads the league in FIP with a 3.32. So they've been doing it more defensively than they have offensively. A lot of their Offensive stats are actually towards the uh, bottom of the pack in terms of these playoff teams. Their OPS is one of the lowers in the in the grouping 
Uh, they're hitting a 738 OPS. That is fourth worst of the 12, uh, 12 uh, playoff teams. They are averaging also one of the fourth worst as well, 4.531 runs per game as well. So a better defensive team, which is not a defensive, you know what I mean, a, you know, pitching team, pitching rotation team than they are an offensive team. Also only a 246 batting average. That's fourth worst as well. And on base percentage of uh, 318, which is fifth worst, I guess. Fifth, you know, it's all relative. Fifth worst in that playoff grouping as well. So, um, yeah, the, the the one seeds, not necessarily polar opposites. The Dodgers are doing it kind of on both sides of the baseball, to be honest with you. Both sides of the diamond, if you will. But the Astros, the one seed over on the other side, are very much more a pitching dominant team, which is, like I said, not something we're used to, especially for the Astros. Astros have been known for their hitting capability on the offensive side with Alec Bregman, uh, Jose Altuve, obviously. Uh, George Springer's not there anymore, but he was there. Carlos Correa, same. Uh, Jordan Alvarez, who is still there, their DH, arguably one of the better. I mean, he's having one of the better seasons in the league. He's never going to win MVP, obviously, because he's playing basically DH all season. But one of the better hitting seasons in the league so far. And um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see where both of those teams end up. I think those are two. I mean, the Yankees can really catch fire, honestly, and I wouldn't be surprised to see them make it either. But I think the two one seeds are definitely the wow. Here's a hot take. I think the two one seeds are definitely the favorites to make it to to the World Series. And I will say that some of these teams have a pretty decent sized injury list, to be honest with you. And I don't think there is a more important um, aspect to a championship team in the MLB more so than I think a lot of other leagues other than maybe like hockey, uh, the NFL, but they have, you know, because of the, the amount of roster spots that you got. But I think because of the amount of depth that you need for the MLB, especially in pitching, uh, solid pitchers that go back to back to back to back, you know, from starter to bullpen and then over and over and over again, basically for 22 games. That's if you play the maximum amount of games uh, in each series. But I don't think there's a bigger importance more on bigger importance on depth than in any other sport than the MLB, especially only for the playoffs. Obviously it's, it's a little different for the regular season, but you also need the depth for the regular season though, too. You're playing longer than any other, any other league in the country in terms of how long you're actually playing. But um, for the playoffs, it's, it's almost, I will say it's more difficult. Obviously you're playing 22 games versus 162 games. Obviously it's not more difficult, but it is more high intensity, which does lend itself to maybe a more stressful environment, a more stressful situation, which is why that depth is very important. There's players on these lists that are going to be scratched from rosters from playoff rosters, obviously that uh, will have a decent effect on who they're playing. I mean, you have Chris Taylor, who's day to day for the, for the Dodgers. That's not, you know, it's not a huge loss. They're not losing Freddie Freeman or anything like that, or Mookie Betts, but it is a loss that does affect, affect their depth. Now he's not out per se, but he is day to day. And that, you know, who knows what it could turn into obviously, but uh, in terms of pitching, you know, uh, Mike Blake Trinan, he's been on the 15 IL last update we got from him was on October 2nd. He played catch off of a mound. That was on Sunday, October 2nd, obviously uh, Dustin may he was been, he was on the 15 day, IL, he threw pitches in a bullpen last Friday. Who knows where he's going to be? They also lost Walker Bueller, their starting pitcher. Basically, their their ace out of the out of the um, out of the starting rotation. That was back in August. But uh, you know, I, I mean, you lose an ace like that, not not too late in the season, but relatively late in the season, that will have effects on your an effect on your on your depth for the playoffs, obviously. And you know, the Mets they lost Starling Marte. He's been out with a finger issue since uh, Monday, and that's 
a huge loss for the Mets, especially offensively, who they and they haven't been very good offensively. Uh, they've been very much a defensive team. Jacob Degrom as well. He isn't. He had a blister on October first. Obviously, that's not that big of a deal. He's day to day, but still could show up in the playoffs, and that could obviously be a problem. Their best pitcher, Jacob Degrom, could have an issue with his finger. That's something very minuscule. Minuscule, but when you're throwing a baseball, can really affect how you're throwing the baseball, especially for Jacob Degrom, where everything that he has is nasty and disgusting when he throws. It makes me want to throw up in a good way. And if that's off even a little bit, I mean, MLB hitters will be able to capitalize on that. So that's something you got to, you know, pay attention to. Max Scherzer, thank God he's not injured or anything, but that's a, you know, the best starting one, two in the game, you know, cut and dry and plain simple. Best starting, starting one, two out of the rotation um, in the MLB. And they'll be expected to play in that wildcard series, depending on if the Braves, you know, below the divisional lead or whatever. They'll be more than likely expected to start that divisional series, you know, first start and second start against the Potters. And if they go one, two, and, you know, they can win that two nothing against the Potters just because they're the best pitchers in, you know, the league, arguably. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's just an interesting list to look at here. We got, uh, there are names on this list that'll, you know, they're not eye popping names, but in terms of depth, I guess the, the point that I'm trying to make is the names on the injured list may not pop in terms of, uh, interesting names or, or star-studded names or anything like that. But in terms of depth, like I said, I don't think there's really anything more important in the MLB playoffs, more so than in any other league, than depth, especially at the pitching position. Spencer Strider for the Braves. The uh, huge acquisition for the Braves. He was a rookie this year. He had an oblique strain. He's been on the 15-day IL since September 30th, and he hasn't even been cleared to, cleared to resume throwing yet. That's a huge loss for the Braves for the playoffs. Uh, they still have Max Fried, obviously. He's been day-to-day, though, as well. Um, but everybody's kind of banged up in the league. But obviously, you have guys in the 15-day IL. That's a big loss. Kirby Yates is also on the 15-day IL. He just started throwing a bullpen session last weekend. But still, uh, Ozzie Albies, they lost him. Second baseman for the Braves, they lost him for the season late uh, or in, the, in mid-September. So, it's just, you know, you're going to see guys out there that aren't going to be necessarily 100%, obviously, because nobody's really 100% after a 162-game regular season. But you have to be able to have the depth in order to make it to the World Series and to win the World Series. The best teams the best teams that win the World Series are dominated by the back end of their bullpen, more so than anything. You can have the best offense in the history of the MLB, like the Dodgers, it kind of feels like have, but if you can't finish the game if you're defensively or pitching wise aren't doing if you're not holding down the fort per se uh on on the pitching end then none of it will matter you got to have the depth to to make it there and the depth to win the games in the MLB playoffs and i think that's where a lot of this is obviously just my opinion i don't know how much how much of it's actually backed up or anything like that but it feels like year in year out your winners your world series winners have these bullpen guys that can go you know, the back end of the game and without really any, you know, it feels like it's secured from there, I guess is what I would say. Uh, those Roy, that Royals team from a while ago, dominant bullpen, you know, uh, just a year ago, the, the Braves had one of the better dominant playoff bullpens that we can remember. Uh, the Astros as well in 2017, however much you want to take away from that. Whenever I don't have any, don't have any qualms. If you do, I understand. Uh, Red Sox as well had a pretty solid dominant pitching arm out of their bullpen as well. A couple of arms out of their bullpen as well when they won in 2018 and then 2019. The Nationals, same thing. I mean, it just goes down the list. They've had solid, they had solid bullpens, bullpen arms and starter arms in 2019 as well. So. You can go down the list. You can find a couple of guys that are like, okay, 
they shut it down in the playoffs. That's what they needed. That will win them ball games. That depth will help them win ball games into the later part of the in the into the later part of the playoffs as well. So that's kind of what I guess what I'm saying for the MLB playoffs. Got to have that depth in your bullpen, and if you have that depth, that pitching depth, you can go a long way. That's what I've been saying. That's what I'm saying. My prediction. Let me get into my prediction. Uh, should we go by series, series by series, or should we go full length here? Should we just say World Series predictions? Um, let's go series by series. Okay, so if it started today, we'd have. I'll start by. I'll start with the AL uh, Guardians versus Tampa Bay. Um, Tampa Bay is always a funky team. Six seeded Tampa Bay versus the three seeded Guardians. Um, Tampa Bay is a funky team. Guardians, a lot of those guys have not been into the playoffs. Young team. Uh, Jose Ramirez is kind of leading that team. I t- feels like the Guardians are maybe fluky, I would say. And, you know, AL Central is not a great division. The White Sox were very disappointing. Uh, the the uh, the Twins were pretty disappointing as well. Um, I think I would go... Wow, this is like the this is probably the hardest one to pick to be honest with you out of this first section. Um I would go Guardians, but I think that probably goes 3 games to be honest with you. I think the I think Tampa Bay, but Tampa's injury list is very long. We were just talking about injuries obviously and uh, Tampa's injury list is pretty pretty prevalent. So, uh I would go Guardians in 3 games, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Guardians swept either, but I also wouldn't be surprised if the Rays won that either because the Rays are the Rays and they're weird and it feels like they kind of win games out of nowhere just because they feel like they can. That's the Rays mantra. They just they win games they have no no business winning because they're like more all in on Moneyball than the A's ever were. And that's kind of how the Rays work. But I think the Guardians can probably win that win that first series. Uh the four five series, Blue Jays versus Mariners. It was super cool to see the Mariners get back into the playoffs. They hit a walk off to get back in. That was super cool. Fun to watch. Uh but the road ends here, I think. Uh Blue Jays too good offensively. Mariners Pretty solid pitching team, uh, but I think the Marin or the uh, the Blue Jays are still too good offensively. And that place uh, that the, Toronto's Toronto, I can't remember the Rogers Center. That's that's the name of it. The Rogers Center kind of turns into a an animal house when it comes to playoffs, and I think it's a hard place to play in uh, during playoff time. So I think the I think the Blue Jays win that series two nothing. I don't think I don't think Mariners are on their way. Don't get me wrong, they're a pretty solid team. Eugenio Suarez is pretty solid. You know, very much a a uh, three true outcomes guy, but he hits a lot of a lot of home runs. Luis Castillo is a solid solid starting pitcher. Uh, Robbie Ray, he was up and down this year, but you know I think he's that veteran presence they could need in the starting rotation for the future. Julio Rodriguez is going to be a stud for years to come, and Mitch Haniger seems like he's going to be a solid player for years to come as well. So Mariners are on their way, maybe a little earlier than everybody expected. So I think the Blue Jays probably win this series. Uh, two games to nothing, move on to take on the Astros. So, your divisional in the ALDS. Um, Astros-Blue Jays, I think this is going to be more of a compelling series than we probably expect. I think that week, that time off in the middle of the, between the wild card and the ALDS uh, affects maybe backwards, in my opinion. I've always thought it was, uh, it had a backwards effect. You, you Obviously, you get rested and stuff like that if you're one of those teams, but I also think it kind of has a backwards effect because you get into this rhythm for 162 games other than the all-star break. And it's hard to really, when you break out of that rhythm, it feels like you kind of have to start over again. This is completely my opinion. You know, I have no evidence to support this at all. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt, but it feels like after 162 games, you've had, you know, basically constantly, consistently 162 games from, from April to the end of September into early October now, um, 
And I feel like a break in that rhythm like that can really make you start over from scratch, which could, in effect, cause issues. But I think the Astros still win this series. I think their pitching is very solid. They still have a decent enough offense to sneak past the Blue Jays. But if their pitching falters a little bit, the Blue Jays can definitely surprise people in this series, which I think this one is probably more prevalent for an upset than I think any others. I think the the Yankees should you know, uh, sweep the Guardians, to be honest with you. I don't think the Guardians are ready for traveling to New York City for a a playoff series in the ALDS. I don't think they're ready for that. I still think they're probably a little too young. But, you know, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I think the Guardians can maybe win one at home, but I think the Yankees are probably too, too strong to lose to the Guardians in that series. But the Astros won. Astros, Blue Jays. I mean, the Blue Jays, they're, they've got a couple of veteran presences. Vlad Guerrero Jr. is a stud. Bo Bichette just had a very, very good September. Or, yeah, September, excuse me. George Springer, former Astro. Uh, definitely looking for revenge in the playoffs. Um, and, and this might, you know, I, I would not be surprised if they won in five either, to be honest with you, or lost in five. I think this one goes five, though, regardless. And I think I think the Astros probably pull it out just because they have the better pitching overall. Um, but I think it goes five regardless. Yankees. Guardians, like I said, I think that one's pretty quick. I think that one's 3-1 Yankees. Then we have the ALCS, Astros versus Yankees. This one is tough as well because the Astros kind of match up with the Yankees pretty well, to be honest with you, more so than the Blue Jays, in my opinion. I think the Blue Jays kind of have those pieces that can beat the Astros, but the Yankees um, maybe don't necessarily. They have a very strong... They have the not the pieces necessarily, but the the difference in the way that they play the game, I guess the difference in uh, the way they approach at the plate is a little bit different for both of these teams. Blue Jays have gotten worse. I mean, they've, they've pretty much, they've gotten worse at it. I would say. And I think they're also catching the Astros, like I said, in the kind of that dead zone after in between the wildcard series and the divisional series where kind of feels like the Astros or whoever kind of have to wake back up and, you know, get ready for the playoffs again after that first game or something like that. And I think by the time they hit the ALCS, the Yankees have been, you know, hunting for the Astros numbers for, it feels like for the last five years, probably for a long time, it feels like, but I think the Astros are probably a little too strong personally for that, for the, for the Yankees. But again, I think this one probably goes seven as well. And I think the Yankees have just as much of a chance to beat the Astros as well. I don't think that one's, I think that's a very close matchup as well. Um, Judge could turn it on and really turn that turn that uh, turn that series on its head if if possible. Um, but you know, a lot of the rest of the team has been relatively quiet through the rest of the second half, where the Astros have kind of been able to leapfrog them for best record in the AL and best t- uh, best overall team, in my opinion, in the AL as well. So I think the Astros probably win that one. I think their pitching is also very solid. Justin Verlander still somehow forty one years old throwing or how old he is 40, 41 years old throwing absolute gas. And one of the best pitchers in the in the American League, he might win, probably should win uh, AL Cy Young at 40, 41 years old. It looks like the second coming of Nolan Ryan. And they have a bunch of other guys like Christian Javier is a stud uh, for as a uh, starting pitcher. Framber Valdez is a stud starting pitcher. I mean, the list kind of goes on and on for the Astros. They just find these guys out of nowhere. Um, and so I think the Astros probably win that one and get to the World Series on the NL side. I also think this one is a relatively even 3-6 matchup, to be honest with you, which is weird to say. But I think the Cardinals, they are missing Tyler O'Neill. He hasn't been uh, scratched, but he also hasn't been put on or, or considered, quote-unquote, 
for the wild card roster. That's a that's a decent loss for the Cardinals if he isn't able to make it. And then Nolan Arenado, he was scratched from the lineup on Tuesday with a biceps issue, if I remember reading correctly. And obviously, if that lingers, that's a big problem for the Cardinals as well. So, and you know the 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 uh, Phillies don't necessarily have a injury that uh, that lingering for one of their star players on their side. So that could be an issue for the Cardinals. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe there is a bigger a bigger chance for an upset there as well. So I still think this one probably goes to St. Louis, uh, the three seed winning that one. But man, I'm, I'm I, this one's feeling this is feeling pretty chalky. I'll be honest with you. I'm looking at the way I've filled this out already, and this is, this is pretty chalky. Um, I think St. Louis probably wins this one regardless. So, but I think I also think it's you know a, a tough challenge. I think it's in three games uh, as well as the Guardians in the Rays one. Like I said, the other three six matchup on the other side. I think that one goes three games as well, and I think this one goes three games. So we'll see. Who wins that one? Uh, the other wildcard matchup as it stands right now, Mets and Padres. Mets win this one, I think, pretty handily. I think the starting rotation of DeGrom and Scherzer is too much for the Padres, especially at this point in the season. Um, they lost a couple of key guys. Obviously, Fernando Tatis was a huge loss. I don't think they have the offensive weapons to compete with the starting pitching of um, Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer. So I think Scherzer and uh, I, I think the Mets probably move on in two games in that one and win, especially at home in New York. Um, I think they move on in that one. And then we have an interesting 2-3 matchup, the Braves and the Cardinals. I think the Braves probably win that one. Spencer Strider comes back for the Braves. That would be huge, and I think that would be a great uh, a great addition for their playoff squad in the NLDS. That would be a huge addition. I think the Braves probably win this one pretty handily, especially how they've kind of burnt off and how they've looked in the past basically two, three weeks. Uh, they've looked like a very solid team, and they've kind of raced back for the NL East lead. So they're a hot team coming into the playoffs. I think the Braves probably win that series five game or excuse me. I, I hate how they, Oh man, it's annoying that they go three, five, seven. I'm so used to it being like in any other playoff or mainly the NBA, I guess it's seven, 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 even though a lot of people don't like that, which is understandable. So NLDS, I think they probably win that one in four games. I'll give the Cardinals one game, sure. Throwaway game in St. Louis or something like that. But I think they probably win in four handily. The, the Braves do. Um, and then we got, Dodgers Mets, another interesting one. So, if Jacob Degrom and Scherzer go in the wild card game, uh, they probably won't be available till Game Three and Game Four against the Dodgers. Where in that point, I would assume, I would assume the Mets would already be down to nothing at home. Uh, Dodgers at home in Los Angeles. I would assume uh, the Dodgers are probably too good offensively, and I think if the Mets are down to nothing. One game left for the Dodgers to win. I think that's probably too much to handle. Uh, I think the Mets probably lose that series. But, God forbid, the Dodgers go down 0-2 or they're tied 1-1 after two games. I think the Mets have a chance to win this. I think they really do. If they get past the Padres, obviously, and they get in the NLDS against the Dodgers, I think it kind of flips that entire series on its head, to be honest with you, because you have three games set for the for the Mets against the Padres. As it stands right now, this could all change by the time I'm recording this as well, which is super annoying. Um, but if the Mets, as it stands right now, get past the Padres in that first series, I'm assuming they'll go, you know, two games, one, two, DeGrom, Scherzer. So then you have to imagine they'll be rested for uh, either the, for one of them to come back. So DeGrom, the day one starter, uh, the, the the number one overall, the ace, I guess, would go game three for the Mets versus the Dodgers. And then Scherzer would go game four, I would imagine. And I think if you're the Dodgers, I think you have to come out of Los Angeles have to come out of Los Angeles in the NLDS winning both of those games. 
I don't think you can go back to New York down or tied, God forbid, down 0-2, but tied 1-1 with DeGrom and Scherzer as the two pitchers coming up for the Mets. I think that would be, uh, you would probably have a problem there. I, I think that I think the Mets could possibly sneak out a victory over the Dodgers if they're able, if they're able to win a game in LA at the start of the series, I think that, I think that they should be able to go back to New York, win one game with either DeGrom or Scherzer, and I think they can beat the 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 LA Dodgers in the NLDS. But again, if they go down 0-2, I think it's it's basically over because then you're going to waste DeGrom or Scherzer in two games, uh, 3-4, and then you go back to LA for a game five where you don't have DeGrom or Scherzer on the mound. So, But it also depends on how they kind of handle it. I have no idea how they're going to handle the Mets. They're going to handle it totally depends um it could be after you know they they could save if depending on the game one of the wild card series they could end up saving scherzer or something like that for the nlds assuming that they'll beat the padres so they can just save scherzer or they save him for like game three if they lose to the padres and then you know you're kind of back into the square one but completely depends um i think having those two those two guys to be honest with you is such a huge advantage for the Mets, um, and it kind of mitigates a lot of the offensive numbers that the Dodgers have been able to put up. But again, who knows? The Dodgers could, you know, beat both of those guys just as much as Scherzer or DeGrom could beat the LA Dodgers. I think, but I do think the Mets having both of those guys does somewhat level the playing field a little bit more just because they've been so dominant and it is the best one two punch in the MLB. So I think, you know what? I'll just for fun, I'll go the Mets. I'll go the Mets in. In five games over the Dodgers. Actually, I'll go in four games because I think if the Mets win one, like I said, in L.A., I think they can come back to uh, New York and win two games at home with the Grom and Scherzer. So I'll go in four games. The Mets win that series. Then we have the Mets versus the Braves. I forgot where I was at. The Mets at the Braves. Another a divisional rivalry turned into an NLCS, which would be super fun. I think in seven games, I think this leans the Mets way, to be honest with you. They have been cold. The, the the Braves have had their number, um, and you know what? I'm flipping my I'm flipping it right now. I just said I think the Mets. I I, I was th- leaning the Mets more in seven games, but now now that I'm thinking about it, the Braves have had the Mets number. They've climbed back. They've been the hotter team. I'll go the Braves. The Braves make it back to the World Series for a rematch between the Astros and the Braves in the World Series. Now MLB's perfect, perfect, perfect. If this all goes perfectly well. For the MLB, it'll be a Los Angeles Dodgers versus New York Yankees World Series. Obviously, that is what the MLB is rooting for 100%. It would be great ratings for them, but I think it's more fun. Uh, Not necessarily more fun, but I think, uh, personally, I think the Astros are probably a better team than the Yankees. Not by much, but I think the pitching's a little bit better. And uh, the Braves, if they're playing the Mets, then I think the Braves can beat the Mets as they have done the last half of the year. Um, I think the Braves could beat the Mets in the NLCS. But if the Braves are taking on the Dodgers and they beat the Mets, I think the Dodgers win that. And then it's Houston Houston versus LA in a rematch of the 2017 World Series, which would also be very interesting. That would be a storyline as well, because that's the whole uh, the cheating scandal for the Astros when they won the World Series against the Dodgers. So it'd be interesting to see how that was stacked up. And I basically just chalked it the whole way. 1-1, one, one, one seed, the one seed in the NL and the one seed in the NL making it to the World Series if that is the case. But... I'm not going to go with that. I'm going to go the Braves and the Astros. World Series rematch from last year. I think the Astros have gotten better, but the but the Braves have been hot. So I'll go. Man, this is 
I'll go Astros. I think I'll go Astros in this just because their pitching has been better. Uh, the Braves, obviously, we don't know where Spencer Strider is going to be in basically a month's time. If he is going to be back, if he is back, then maybe it leans in a little bit more towards the Braves. But I think the Astros without, uh, if if the Braves don't have Spencer Strider, I think the Astros can win this in six games. But it's baseball. It's completely random. I have no idea what's going to happen. Neither do you. This is just how I think it's going to go. This is how I think it's going to go. We're going to have some fun. Best postseason, in my opinion, in the world is the MLB postseason. I think there's nobody that does it better. They've worked, you know, they've changed it around a little bit. I'm not a huge fan of the wild card games, to be honest with you. I liked the one-off, even though I understand where people are upset with it because it doesn't really, uh, it doesn't really show the true nature of baseball, where it's more obviously, you know, it's more how good a team is over a series versus one game. I understand that. I get that, but it does. To me, the one game, the one game sendoffs are inject a lot of. I mean, you're having a game seven basically, you know, every wild card game, which was cool. I thought that was fun, but I understand where people are coming from when they say, you know, it's not really baseball. Understandable, totally understand it. We'll see what happens with the three game series. I hope it's a a huge success. I don't know how many people are actually going to be tuning into the Guardians versus Tampa Bay Rays. It seems like a small market ratings. I don't. I, I really don't think there's going to be a lot of people tuning into that wild card matchup. But I could be wrong. Who knows? You know, vice versa it could you know be huge ratings for the the Mets and Padres series. So we'll see what happens. Um, but I'm excited for it. I love postseason baseball. Nothing makes it feel. Uh, there's not really another sport where every single uh, play, pitch, whatever feels more important than postseason baseball. I think baseball does it very well, and it's a lot of fun to watch. So we'll see what happens. I'm excited. It's right around the corner. Feels like. But baseball postseason also just feels like the beginning of fall, in my opinion. Like that's kind of the that's kind of the marker for me for the beginning of fall, which is weird. I'm just thinking that in my head. I've always kind of equated uh, MLB postseason with the beginning of fall, so that's interesting enough. Anyways, we're gonna move on here. I ranted a lot about baseball there, um, but it is playoffs, you know. So, so don't get mad at me. Um, you know what we are gonna talk about actually really quick the judge thing. Um, super fast. Uh, it's been very interesting to see the reaction to people's. Uh, to people, the people's reaction to uh, the Aaron Judge cut-ins for uh, Aaron Judge chasing 62 or whatever, um, breaking Roger Maris's uh, Yankees record for home runs in a single season. Um, I do think the cut-ins are kind of absurd. There was a really good baseball or uh, football game on college football game on over the weekend that they were cutting into the middle of uh, the Ole Miss Kentucky game, and that was frustrating to be honest with you because that was a solid game and we live in the world now where i don't need mlb cut-ins i do not need cut-ins for aaron judge trying to break one a record that the mlb other than the fact that it's the al home run record obviously okay i'll give him that but they're not going to cut in for anything else that's like that they're just trying to uh kind of mend like almost it feels like they're trying to almost like band-aid a problem that They've already kind of shown that they don't care about, I guess. This is their way of like under the table, like, you know, hey, this is this is the record. You know, this is the home run record, even though nobody nobody looks at it that way. If you're going to do it like that, the MLB, this is the biggest problem that they have now. When Barry Bonds and Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire and all those guys were running around jacked out of their minds, steroided to the absolute gills, the MLB didn't care. It was bringing in people, watching games. It was selling tickets. It was selling hot dogs and on beer and stuff like that. So they weren't going to stop them. And now you're in the situation where if you're trying to get cleaner, obviously the MLB's picture and stuff like that is trying to get cleaner, but you still recognize those guys as doing what they've done. So regardless of what 
Aaron Judge does here, in my opinion, and I think the MLB's opinion as well, is he's still you know, 12 home runs behind tying Barry Bonds. And he's not going to do it, obviously. He's not going to tie Barry Bonds. So what are we doing? You know, like, what's the point? Why are we doing this? Um, I, I guess, but no other record, no other AL. We didn't even get cut-ins, live cut-ins for Aaron Judge going for 700, which is so head-scratching to me. I don't understand how we have live cut-ins for Aaron Judge looking for or looking for 62, number 62, which would be, I get it, the AL American League home run single season record, but it would also be the seventh, the seventh uh, passing Roger Maris for seventh uh, on the league-wide home run record, uh, home run record list, which is like, who cares? You know, like, what, what are we doing? The MLB doesn't see it as the major league home run record. If you go look at any of the record books, they're not in the Hall of Fame. McGuire, Sosa, or, or Bonds are not in the Hall of Fame. But if you go look at any... MLB a licensed official record book. It's Barry Bonds, Sammy Sosa, it's Mark McGuire, like four times over on that list for most home runs in a single season because the MLB let it happen. That's what they wanted to do during that time. They were like, you know what? You could do it. And we're going to, we're going to, you know, say we can't find anything. We know we don't think you're doing anything, but they knew they were doing stuff. I mean, they, they knew they were, the MLB knew that those guys were doing steroids. It wasn't a secret to them. They were just like, well, we'll let it go because, you know, we're selling a ton of tickets and, you know, the the ratings on our games have never been higher. So now they're trying to kind of just under the table, brush it to the side and say, you know, this is this is actually the record, guys. You know, this is it, even though, you, you know, you still recognize Barry Bonds and, and you know, those guys as having the the highest home run total records. So it doesn't make any sense. I just I hate I hate that they're like trying to do it almost blackball Barry Bonds once again, because that's kind of what they did the first time. They blackballed him out of the MLB, but they still officially recognized every single one of his records. It's just so frustrating. It's like MLB. You can't have both your feet in both puddles. Okay, pick a side. You can't do this. It's so annoying. Uh, they've, they black, they, you know, it's the same thing they did with Pete Rose. They blackballed Pete Rose. He'll never make the MLB Hall of Fame. He'll never make the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. But all-time hits leader, it's Pete Rose. Okay, I mean... Regardless, it doesn't matter. I mean, unless they take him off of the all-time hits leader or anything like that, they banish his name from the record books for, um, you know, being on any of those Reds World Series teams or being an all-time hits leader. As as long as you do that, then I'm okay with it. Then, okay, Judge is the all-time home runs leader or vice versa and so on and so forth. But they're not going to do that because that's a huge part of their history and uh, the MLB went along with it. It'd be them admitting that they did something wrong, and I don't think they want to do that. Um so yeah, that was that was an interesting situation over the weekend. I think it was uh, highlighting both sides of both the argument. A lot of Yankees fans, obviously, are rooting for Judge and think that he's going to have the all-time home run record, even though he's not. Um, and I think it highlighted a lot of people both arguments. And then there were just people that just you know annoyed by the fact that they're having college football cut into in the middle of a Saturday, which is understandable. I'm I'm I can totally understand that cut in where like I said, we are in the day and age where we don't need cut ins anymore. To be honest with you. It's, not needed anymore. Uh, I can get the home run replay on Twitter. I don't need to see it live. Uh, it's kind of useless, to be honest with you. Um, so yeah, that 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 was that'll that'll wrap the MLB coverage. Did the playoff season, playoff postseason picture? Um, let's talk some college football. Uh, not a whole lot of interesting stuff went down, to be honest with you. College football was a little bit. Uh, other than that, uh, Kentucky game, Ole Miss game. That was a fun game. Uh, big SEC, big SEC game, but uh, that was kind of like the biggest game, to be honest with you. That was the funnest to watch. Uh, that game was back and forth into the final quarter, and then 
Kentucky had the ball on like the Ole Miss like 14 yard line or something like that. And they were driving. They were going to win the game, score a touchdown. They scored a touchdown there. It was like there was like a minute and two seconds left. And then, lo and behold, Will Levies fumbles the ball with like 32 seconds left. And the game's over. And Ole Miss wins the game. It was a ton of fun. Good SEC football game. And uh, we had Judge cutting in the middle of it, which was super annoying. Um, that was a big game. That was fun to watch. We had Saturday night football was Clemson versus NC State. That game was pretty much Clemson the entire way. The only time it looked like, uh, well, the only time the NC State even had the lead was they were up uh, ten to six or ten to three after a touchdown. Or no, ten to six. Excuse me, I'm getting them mixed up. Ten to six after a touchdown with like a minute and seven seconds left uh, in the first half, and then after halftime, it was basically Clemson the entire rest of the way, and they won that game thirty to ten. Even though it was more handily than that, I would say. Um, so that was the other big game. We had a couple of big upsets. I will say that uh, on the uh, on the on the weekend as well. Oklahoma versus TCU. Don't want to talk about it. I was depressed. Uh, it was a very disappointing game. Complete blowout. I have no idea where we're going to go from here. Uh, in my life's in a shamble is in shambles. Uh, send help, please. Um, I'm very sad. And yada yada yada. Is that is that all you guys wanted here? There you go. There's there's my there's my opinion on that game. I was upset and I wanted to cry all weekend. Um, not really, but I was definitely upset. Saturday was rough. Uh, moving on, that was the that was probably the biggest upset. Even though, you know, I don't know how much of an upset it really was, given they lost uh, Oklahoma last last week to Kansas State, and you know they look like kind of a mess right now. So I don't know how an upset that how much of an upset that really was. But we also got another upset on ranked upset. Uh, Mississippi State beat 17th ranked Texas A&M, and boy, oh boy, you know I love to rub it in Texas A&M's face. Texas A&M overrated as hell. I think they're not good, and I think Jimbo Fisher, Jimbo Fisher is a very overrated coach. And, you know, you know how I stand. You guys know how I stand. You guys know what I'm talking about. If Texas a m comes up, you know what I'm saying, okay? You know the words that are going to come out of my mouth. Jimbo Fisher overrated. Texas A&M overrated. Uh, way too big of a stadium for a, a less-than-stellar football team. And uh, basically every other team, not every other team, I won't go that far. But, uh, you know, uh, they should buy out Jimbo Fisher. I'll just say that. They can find a better coach than Jimbo Fisher. And I think Texas A&M deserves a better coach than Jimbo Fisher. Because as much as I hate, I love to hate Texas A&M because they don't deserve a lot of the hype that they get. Um, it's good for college football when Texas A&M is good. I'll say that. I, I think it's the Johnny Manziel years of Texas A&M were a very good time for, for college football because they were kind of the wild card. You know, they were the wild card of college football. They could win, beat Alabama, the beat, you know, beat Alabama basically any given week that they played them. But they could also go and lose at like, you know, at Auburn or something like that when Auburn wasn't fantastic. Then, you know, it was kind of nice to have a wild card team like that in the SEC. And that's what uh, that's what A&M was back in the day. And, you know, with the amount of people that Texas A&M follows or followers that Texas A&M has, um, it's good for it's good for college football to have Texas A&M be good. So I'll say that, I you know, they deserve to be good. God knows they put enough money into that program for them to be good and losing to Mississippi State. On the road, granted, Mississippi State not a bad team. They are four and one, but I mean, what the amount? Like I said, the amount of money and the talent they have around that program—that's not a game that they should be losing. So, we'll see what happens with Texas A&M. I'm curious to see what happens with Texas A&M. I want to see if they'll actually buy out uh, Jimbo Fisher with the amount of the the ungodly salary that he has. Um, I'd be curious to see if they actually do end up buying him out and firing him. But yeah, and that that still feels like it's a long way down the road. Uh, moving on here. That was kind of the last big upset. Missouri almost somehow upset 
uh, Georgia. It was basically a game of field goals for Missouri, but uh, the the field goal kicker for Missouri could not miss. He was he was a stud. But in the end, Georgia came back in the fourth quarter and won twenty six to twenty two. So, you know, it was one of those games. It felt like Georgia was kind of falling asleep at the wheel there, and you know, uh, snuck by Missouri, if you will. But I think if like any other weekend, I think Missouri probably gets absolutely demolished by Georgia. I don't know how much of a an alarm bell there needs to be rung for Georgia more so than just like, you know, fell asleep at the wheel, whatever. Uh, I will say there's a lot of volatility in college football this year. I think it feels like there's not other than Georgia. I still think Georgia's far and away the best team in the country. Uh, every other team, it feels like has its, um, it's negatives, Alabama, including uh, Alabama did not, not look incredible offensively. They did lose Bryce Young for a little bit, but uh, when they have play, I mean, they did not look that good offensively against Texas either. So, that's another one of those teams. Ohio State, same thing. They've looked pretty good offensively. Uh, C.J. Stroud looks like a you know bona fide, no doubt, bona fide Heisman candidate, but their defense has struggled at times. Uh, Michigan offense is fine, defense also fine, but they you know Michigan had trouble showing up against Iowa as well. Twenty-seven to fourteen against Iowa is not great. And Iowa you know is a terrible football team, you know so on and so forth. We'll just keep moving down the line. Clemson, same thing. Solid defense, very good defense in Clemson, but their offense has had question marks the past few weeks. Probably the best offensive showing was this weekend, but for the rest of the last few weeks, you know, a questionable offensive showing. And you can kind of go down the list on all these teams and kind of say a lot of the same stuff. Um, And I think it's fun. That makes college football more fun. The volatility in college football makes the game more fun to watch. And I'm happy it's there. I'm happy the volatility is there because it feels like anything can kind of happen any given weekend. And uh, that's kind of something that we should expect every weekend. That's what's great about college football is that anybody can beat anybody except for Georgia. I mean, Georgia's, I think, far and away the best team in the country right now. Uh, moving on here, let's talk a little bit Wyoming Cowboys. Um, disappointing loss. It felt like it was a little bit of the, the, they lost to San Jose State, 33-16. to Disappointing loss, like I said. Uh, it felt like a, a couple of the old demons had creeped up a little bit. Andrew Peasley had a very rough game against the San Jose State defense. Six for 20, uh, 85 yards. That's right, 8-5. Big 85 through the air. Uh, did throw two touchdowns, but he also threw a pick, a 24.3 QBR. That's bad. Um, he also he ran for seven rushes for 74 yards, but that's not necessarily what I want, you know, and that's not necessarily what I think a lot of, a lot of Cowboy fans want either is having their their quarterback all, nearly gain the same amount of yards as he did through the air. Uh, that's not necessarily what you want. Titus Swin, he had a, he had a pretty quiet game on the ground as well. 3.6 average rush for 17 rushes and 61 yards. Not a great, not a great uh, night for him either. It was a very quiet night offensively for the Wyoming Cowboys. On the opposite side, though, defensively, they were also not very good. Uh, Chevon Cordero for San Jose State, 31 of 30, or excuse me, 21 of 37, 314 yards and a touchdown. Not the not a stellar game from the quarterback, obviously, but he did carve up a little bit. Uh, Elijah Cooks, this was another big thing. Uh, it felt like the 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 demons were waking back up from Wyoming. This was a, a prime example of it. Receiving for San Jose State, Elijah Cooks, eight receptions, 177 yards. Feels like every big game the Cowboys lose, uh, that's kind of the pinpoint thing you can look at is the receivers on the opposing team. One of them or two of them, a couple of them, just go off. And that was another example of it here. Elijah Cooks, eight receptions, 177 yards. No touchdowns, which, you know, Tip of the cap, I guess. You know, good job for the defense there. But, you know, still 177 yards on eight receptions. That's a 22.1 average. That's uh, that's not great. That's not great from the from the Wyoming defense. So they'll have to recoup. 
three and three on the season. Still a decent amount of time left. You know, I don't think the Mountain West is necessarily lost yet. Um, but you gotta you gotta win a couple. You gotta string a couple in a row here if you're the Wyoming Cowboys. You got New Mexico coming up, uh, and New Mexico's offense is even worse than the Cowboys' offense right now. To be honest with you, uh, we thought Andrew Peasley's numbers were less than stellar last week. Overall, Miles Kendrick for New Mexico, fifty-three for thirty or ninety-five, five hundred and ninety-three yards, three touchdowns, five picks. Not good. That's that's not good. Uh, they're averaging twenty points per game. Allowing 22 points per game. The Cowboys are scoring 22.7 points per game and averaging 28.3 per game. This might be, to be honest with you, they're averaging 248 yards per game, which is, I mean, we've seen the Cowboys and their offense has struggled at times, but they're still averaging almost 300 yards a game. So this New Mexico offense has been rough. Not very good. Uh, they've they've struggled. Um so, but the, the, right now the Cowboys are only three and a half point favorites as of Tuesday. So there's still a lot of time for that number to change. But as of Tuesday, they're still three and a half point favorites. So, I mean, you know, they're leaning Cowboys away, but only slightly. The over under for this game as well. This is this this makes me sad to be honest with you to see this over under. The over under on this is thirty six and a half. That's so little. 20, 36 and a half. That's basically a twenty three to fourteen game. Basically, is what they're expecting. Uh, Vegas is expecting in a college football game. They're expecting a 23 to 14 game um, in this matchup. This might be, to be honest with you, the Sicko's game of the week. Um, to be honest with you, if you don't know who that, if you don't know what I'm talking about, Sicko's committee on Twitter, great follow, great follow for for uh, for college football fanatics on Twitter. Go follow the Sicko's committee. Kind of gives you a breakdown of basically every game, um, but a lot of just you know odd happenings in college football. Games that are just tremendously bad, uh, you know, college football games. And they have like a breakdown of every week of Sicko's games that are must watch, you know, turn on the side TV and then don't really need to watch like that sort of thing. And this feels like a Sicko's game of the week, to be honest with you. I'm gonna have to tweet this at them because this is this is a this is a rough matchup in terms of offensive capability. Um, but then again, we've seen the we've seen the, the 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 Cowboys offense explode. They scored 40 against Tulsa, 33 against I mean, I'll say 33 against Northern Colorado, but that's an FCS school. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Um, but it does, I mean, a 36 and a half over under on a Tuesday. That's, uh, I don't know if I'm going to be staying up very, I mean, it, it starts at, it starts at five, but I don't know if I'm going to be putting this on the main TV, if you will. Um, I'm not expecting a huge offensive output from either one of these teams in this game, but I'd be, I'd love to be proven wrong. Uh, they're the, the New Mexico's defense is, I guess, a slightly, a slight bit better than in terms of yards allowed, 355 yards allowed. Whereas the, the, uh, the Cowboys are averaging about 400 yards allowed per game. So we'll see what happens. The over under of 36 and a half is almost, is almost, that's almost enough value for me to want to place a bet on it because, uh, you know, 23 to 14 games is not really something you see very often in college football. And that's almost disgusting to be honest with you. That would be a bad, if I get beat throwing the over on that, then I kind of feel like I just want to give up gambling all in all for sports, sports gambling. But yeah, I mean, 36 and a half feels like a, that, I mean, if, if you're, if you're coach bowl or the other, the New Mexico Lobos coach, I think you're showing <laughs> as a means for motivation for your offense, you're showing your kids the over under line for this game. And I think that's good enough motivation. I think that's really reasonable to do. Um, so yeah, that's the Cowboys. We'll see what happens next week. Like I said, they got to string a couple together. They got to start getting back on track if they want to win the Mountain West. If they want to make it to the Mountain West Conference Championship in Las Vegas, they got to string a couple together. They they got to start getting the offense going a little bit more. 
less streaky is what you're looking for. Okay. Yeah, the, the loss against BYU, that one was understandable. Not a Mountain West Conference opponent, obviously, but a solid team in BYU. You're coming off a very solid victory, conference victory against Air Force. Um, and I think a loss against San Jose State, that that kind of set them back a little bit. They, they'd won a couple in a row before that BYU game. And uh, yeah, and that was that's a tough loss to San Jose State. And uh, they, I think they can correct the ship, hopefully, against New Mexico. So we'll see what happens there. That's coming up this weekend on Saturday at 5 o'clock, 5 p.m. So we'll see what happens there. Let's let's talk about football, NFL football, really quickly. Uh, I talked about the AFC South a little bit. Uh, I'll talk to a little bit as well. Um, I kind of I've extended myself a little bit too much here, but um, I, I teased it at the beginning. And Tua was another interesting situation where the internet all kind of became doctors in that very moment. Everybody saw what was going on in the field. Um, he, he got into that fencing position. For those of you that don't know, on Sunday against the Bills, he went down, and I think a lot of people. Um, he got thrown down hard, basically pushed down very hard, hit his head on the on the grass. This was two weeks ago, and he had what looked like to everybody on the you know on the outside looking in looked to be concussion like syndrome, shaking his head, you know, wobbling when he was getting up, falling to one knee and what have you as he was trying to get back into the huddle. And I think a lot of people assumed that he had concussion like syndromes, but then he comes back into the game after the internal doctor said it was like his back seizing up, that sort of thing. He came back out there and he played pretty good for the rest of that game against the against the Bills. Granted, you know it's not it didn't look like he was suffering from concussion like symptoms after that first few seconds. I'll give them that. But then Thursday he goes back out there. This last Thursday on four days rest or whatever three days rest basically, um, he goes back out there against the Bills and he gets thrown down to the ground very hard once again. And this time it's a much more. Um, Brutal scene. Brutal is probably too aggressive of a word, but uh, uncomfortable scene, I guess, for a lot of people at home uh, because, you know, he got locked up in that fencing position where his fingers were like close to his face and he was doing stuff, um, you know, just an unnatural position of where his fingers were, where it kind of looked like he was he was frozen, I guess, more or less like literally frozen. His fingers looked like they were they were just frozen in time pretty much from what he was doing. And it stayed that way for like a couple minutes. It felt like basically. And uh, those were, that's for if you didn't know what happened. And then, you know, after that happened, he gets taken to the locker room. He gets put on the, the stretcher on the, on the cart, taken back to the locker room. And basically the Twitter world explodes because, you know, nobody thought that he should have been playing in that game after having those concussion like symptoms, symptoms in that game against the bills, which was only three days prior um, and everybody could became a doctor, which was, you know, I think everybody kind of has that reaction in a situation like that. I think it's t- completely understandable to be honest with you, um, to have that, that scared reactionary position after something like that happens. Uh, you go to Twitter, you talk about, you know, the dolphins should be sued for what they did to Tua, that thing, uh, that whole, that whole spiel, uh, the, the doctor should be fired. The head coach should be fired. What have you? Um, and it's understandable because you see something like that and you're not you're watching these guys play a game, which granted, a lot of people forget how violent that game really is. I mean, we've seen the effects of this game, the game of football, what it has on people after they finish the game who had long careers. I mean, we've seen what it does to people's bodies. I mean, we're talking, you know, uh, careers, lives ending uh, at a very young age because of what this game has done to their to their head and brain. Um, 
you know, Junior Seau to name a few. Junior Seau was kind of kind of the one that shined a light into the perspective of what was really going on after these people's careers were done in the NFL. Uh, Junior Seau, a Hall of Famer, dies way too young, um, basically tells these people to investigate, not investigate, but but look at his brain after his death to to look at what the concussions and and what football has basically done to him. And it, it launched a whole thing to to a, a whole new avenue of neurology of looking into concussions this way. And because and, and because of that, we've never been more aware of what's going on um, around the game of football, especially after the career. Vincent Jackson's another one just died recently. Uh, a, a player that I saw, I watched growing up um, and just died recently to an overdose because of uh, more concussion-like syndromes that caused CTE. And one of the only ways that he thought he could fight that was by taking over-the-counter drugs or taking drugs. And the only way he thought he could fight the own the 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 pain that he was having in his in his body because of the game that he had retired from playing was to take the to, to take drugs and take the over-counter drugs, and it ended up killing him. So it, it's. It really kind of puts things into perspective, even though it's hard to it's hard to break away from a game from watching a game like that, just watching the game in general and realizing what we're actually watching. You know what I mean? Like these guys are they're they're truly the, the I mean, this is this feels like a maybe a little corny, but the the gladiators of our time. I mean, these guys are going out there um, doing this for sport, for our entertainment. Uh, granted, they're paid millions of dollars, and rightfully so. I mean, they really are. They're putting their bodies, their minds on the line for our entertainment. Uh, granted, to them, it's not entertainment. It's a job to them. Understand, you know, it's a it's a very different intersection from fans to players, obviously. Um, but it is, we are putting, they are putting their bodies and minds on the line for our entertainment, but to them, to win the ultimate goal, obviously to win the championship and so on and so forth. But that, that connection is kind of, it changes when we see something like that happen on the field where we saw, it feels like we kind of watching on our televisions. We realize at least this is how I interpreted it. Um, I'm watching this game. And then all of a sudden something very real, something that is usually a distraction, uh, such as football, not necessarily a distraction, but more a, uh, hobby to watch is turned into a real life problem um, that who knows could have effects down the line that a lot of people don't really pay attention to until it's too late, you know, until it's after the fact and we're talking about the death of somebody and then we talk about the CTE and the causes that it had instead of talking about it while that person's still alive and, you know, trying to figure out the answers, even though, you know, I'm not going to have the answers. I'm not a neurologist. I'm not a you know, I'm not a, I'm not a doctor or anything like that, but it's the, the jump from retirement to, we basically get more information on this person after they died and that sort of thing, especially if they're not, you know, like an all-time great, like a hall of fame or anything like that. Even junior say how say who was an all-time great, um, and, uh, like I said, a hall of famer, um, it felt like that entire situation after his death more or less became his story more so than the on the field stuff his on the his off the field and and it's it's terrible that it ended in his death but i think his off the field his off the field influence i think was more effective towards the rest of the game than his on the field influence which is huge because you don't have a lot of that doesn't happen a lot in pro sports and it's very unfortunate 
like I said, that it happened, that it ended in his death. But I think that really, like I said, shined a spotlight on the situation that the NFL and football in general was going through because they weren't paying attention to that, to concussions, to head trauma as much as when uh, Junior Seahow passed away and told everybody to, you know, die, look at my brain and look what happened to me after football. I'm in so much pain. And the same thing, same thing goes for Vincent Jackson after he passed away. Um, you know, he was in so much pain after his playing career because of CTE that he took drugs to numb the pain and that ended in his death, unfortunately. And I think the the other unfortunate thing is I think these are just going to keep, especially of that time, keep cropping up um, because of the way we looked at basically injuries as a whole in general in sports, but mainly football Uh, concussions. If there's something wrong with your head, it was like, you know, take some ibuprofen, get back in there, that sort of thing. Calvin Johnson tells the story about how, People were walking up and down the Detroit Lions sideline, and he said this was normal. This was a normal thing, but people, you know, Lion, uh, Lions trainers walking up and down the sideline with painkillers, just handing them out like candy to guys on the bench, and that was a normal thing. I don't think I'm far, it's far-reaching to say that these guys in the NFL are our modern-day, especially in America, our modern-day gladiators. I don't think that's completely, you know, granted, you know, they're not playing for their life. It's a minuscule scale, obviously, but I mean, these guys are sacrificing their bodies, their minds, their physical well-being for entertainment purposes. The very base that is exactly what the the gladiators of old times did of the, of the Roman the Roman gladiators did in their time. That is the exact same thing. Granted, um, you know it and it resulted in death a lot of the time for the gladiators. Um, but I would say it's not dissimilar from what's going on with the NFL players. It's just a longer term effect. Uh, which is unfortunate because, like I said, we've got Junior Seau, Vincent Jackson, countless others that I think we're going to probably end up with, unfortunately, because of the lack of monitoring that that sport did during the time for um, concussions and head trauma and, and, and the works. And I think the overall point from something like that should be this. If you are a kid playing football, if you're a high schooler, junior high, you know, even peewee or whatever, if you're hurt, Stay out. Sit on the bench. No uh, no game is worth risking your physical well-being and especially your mental well-being and uh, the well-being of your mind. No game is worth that. Um, I remember the story of Calvin Johnson uh, when he was, uh, he retired early as well, but he, he tells the story of when he was with the Lions back in the, you know, late 2000s, early 2010s. Um, that, you know, there were people on the Detroit Lions sidelines that were just walking up and down the sidelines with painkillers. That's how a lot of these guys get addicted after they're, uh, after, after they quit the game, because this is, that's how they fought the pain. They took painkillers and then they realized they can't live without those painkillers because of how much pain they're in off the field. And that's how that happens. And I think, like I said, the overarching, the overarching point should be if you're hurt, just stay out. Uh, especially if it's a head injury, if you still, uh, if you still feel hurt or anything like that, if you're hold, don't withhold information from doctors or anything like that. If you feel like you're hurt, just stay out. It is not worth whatever you're playing is not worth your mental well-being and the well-being of your mind in the grand scheme of things. That is, I guess, the over the overarching point to all of this. And I think the overarching point a lot of people would want to make 
after that situation when we were all freaking out, you know, reacting the way we were. Not 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 to say that any of it's on Tua by any means. I don't think it is. I think he probably thought he was good enough to go back out there and play. I think it was more on the NFL, the NFLPA, the the doctor that examined him and so on and so forth. But again, the science of it still pretty i mean relatively in the early stages it, i i understand according to uh sources he 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 passed like four concussion tests which it's crazy to me that we still have you know the concussion tests that are like do you know what day it is do you know what your last name is you know what is today's date you know and so on and so forth that's kind of i mean we're still testing concussions that way if that's not if that doesn't say how early the science is how early of a of a scientific medium it is then i don't know how much more evidence you need um that's how we're still uh, that's still a test for concussions. So, you know, it, it's kind of up to you to understand your body, your mind, your, you know, your limits physically and mentally to be able to tell yourself, you know, I'm not going to do this today. I can't do this today. If you're feeling hurt, don't feel like you owe anybody anything in that sense in terms of laying it all on the line or anything like that, especially with your mind and your brain. Cut and dry. That is where we're going to end that conversation. now. A, a terrible transition by me. We're going to move on to the uh, the football games on Sunday. <laughs> we 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 got nervous on Thursday, but lo and behold, we we got scared. But lo and behold, Sunday came around, and guess what? We all tuned in the red zone. We all watched the f- the the football games. I mean, uh, they they always win. They never they never lose. They never lose. We could watch the most traumatic thing ever. I don't think, you know, Tua was the most traumatic thing ever I think I've ever seen on a football field. But it was traumatic. We could watch that and still be around for Sunday to watch the rest of the games because we are addicted. They have us by a stranglehold, and they're not going to let us up. That is the NFL, baby. And you know what? There were some fun games. Uh, a lot of a lot of crappy games. Like, you know, not, not well-played games that turned out to be, uh, like, good games. Um, I think a good example uh, Jet Steelers. That game wasn't good. Uh, I didn't enjoy watching that game at all, but it ended up being a pretty decent game. Uh, another one, uh, Bills Ravens wasn't a great game. Great two teams, but not a great game to watch. I don't think. Same thing with Chargers Texans, uh, Cardinals Panthers. There, you could go down this list for a long time. Packers Patriots was not fun to watch. Packers somehow won that game 27-24, um, and so on and so forth. Titans Colts was not a fun game to watch, but it was uh, it was a good game, I guess, based on based on the scoring. Uh, you know, yeah, you can just go down this list. It was not necessarily a well-played weekend of football. I will say this. One, I, I the London games were back. That was fun. Uh, Kirk Cousins, again, cooking at the 11, a, 11 a.m. time slot, quote-unquote, the 11 a.m. time slot, even though it was technically like 225 over there, and it was like 930 over here when it started on the East Coast. Um, still cooking, though. If it's an early game in... Uh, in America, Kirk Cousins is going to cook. That's what he does. Okay. God forbid it's past like four o'clock because then we're going to have problems. But if it's early, Kirk Cousins is going to cook and they ended up winning. We had a double doink in that game too. the game, game tying field goal that would have, if it went through, would have tied the game double doinked by the saints kicker, Will Lutz and the Vikings end up winning the game. That was probably the best game for the most part of the day. Other than, I mean, there was one game and this was the surprise. This was the, Surprise that I was going to tell everybody. If you've been around on this podcast for a long time, you know what is about to happen. Uh, you know it is a big deal. It was a big deal on Sunday. You know the music. If I play the music, you know what it is. Hit the music! That's right, ladies and 
gentlemen. The Lions and the Eagles gave us our first Scorigami of the season. A final score of 48 to 45 is a Scorigami. That's right, 48-45, first time that score has ever happened in an NFL game. The 1,073rd unique score in NFL history. It was truly a treat. I thought I was watching the second coming. Uh, I thought I had, I, I was shedding tears as that game ended. I thought for sure when the Lions had the ball, I thought they were going to drive down and ruin it. I thought they were going to ruin it, but thank God, okay, it did not end that way. They won. Seahawks won 48-45, a scoregami. It made me smile. In this house, if we're not rooting for the Vikings, we're rooting for a scoregami. I don't care what any other score is of any other game. I want scoregami every single week so I can be excited. You're watching history. I mean, you're literally watching history. You can say, if you were watching that game, you were the first person to ever, ever see that score go final. In an NFL game, 48 to 45. You got to see that. And I think that's cool. That's why I love Scorigami. Scorigami is a blast. And speaking of that game, you want to know, you want to hear something crazy? Guess who, according to PFF, Pro Football Focus, arguably the leader in all things stats and grading and uh, NFL grading and and the way that they kind of look at the game from a scientific standpoint, arguably the best. Depending, you know, you can go with a bunch of different sites. And I think a lot of people will be turned off in terms of their statistical analysis by this stat that I'm about to give you. But take a guess. I'll I'll let you take a guess mentally at who the highest graded quarterback is in the NFL right now. Through four weeks, who is the highest graded NFL quarterback in the NFL? Take your time. You can blurt it out loud in your car. If you're on a run or something, blurt it out. Feel free. It's not Josh Allen. It's not Patrick Mahomes. It's not Jalen Hurts. It's not Aaron Rodgers. It's not Tom Brady. It's not Lamar Jackson. It's none of those guys. You know who it is? Geno Smith of the Seattle Seahawks. He has an 84.5 offensive grade so far this season through four weeks. Uh, that is two, about two points higher than Josh Allen, a couple points higher than Patrick Mahomes is in third, and then Jalen Hurts and Tua round out the top five. But number one through, <laughs> through four games of the season, number one, is Geno Smith on PFF, which is mind. I don't think uh, if, if there was a bet to be placed for, you know, your who would be the highest graded. I don't even know how you would phrase this bet. Highest graded quarterback throughout the season. If you would have put money down for Geno Smith at one point in the season would be the highest graded quarterback. I think the odds would be pretty high on that. I think you'd win some nice money from that, to be honest with you. He's got uh, he's got six touchdowns on the season, 1,037 yards. He's throwing, he's got a 77.3 completion percentage, which is, I mean, that's pretty impressive. Uh, 20, he went 23 for 30 against Detroit, 32 for 44 against Atlanta two weeks ago. Uh, he's thrown two interceptions, like I said. He has six big-time throws overall. He has had six turnover-worthy plays. That's not very good. He had four turnover-worthy throws, uh, turnover-worthy plays against Atlanta in week three. But, I mean, a 92.4 grade against Detroit in that 48 to 45 win. So I think that's, you know, and he's his average depth of target is also pretty, pretty, incre- pretty impressive to be honest with you. 8.1 a dot and 11.1 a dot against Detroit and 9.8 a dot against Atlanta. That's pretty impressive. You know what? A round of applause for Geno Smith 
Uh, I don't want to say he's back because I don't think he is. I think Detroit's got an abysmal defense, and so does Atlanta. Uh, we'll see where he ends up when he faces somebody with like a formidable defense. Um, I don't know what will happen there. I do think he's he's kind of taking a walker through the park with a couple of defenses. But, I mean, regardless, through four weeks, Geno Smith, the highest-graded quarterback in the NFL, according to PFF. I think that is something to celebrate. So a tip of the old cap to Geno Smith. That is uh, your interesting stat of the day, according to PFF. Um, that, I believe, is there any other games we'd like to talk about? There weren't any. I mean, Chiefs-Bucks, that was a good game. I will say that. Uh, Tom Brady, 45 years old, threw the ball 52 times, 385 yards, three touchdowns. I mean, the guy's a, the guy's a robot. Uh, you know, he's unbelievable. Um, but Chiefs come out victorious 41-31. That was probably the best game of the day, the most watchable game of the day. Patrick Mahomes had one of the most, I mean, most Patrick Mahomes touchdowns I've ever seen. The play where he was running to the goal line, uh, or running to the pylon, the near side pylon, and he just kind of flipped it up in the air to, I think it was Clyde Edwards-Hilaire who t- he caught the touchdown. He just flipped it up in the air right into Clyde, uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire's bread basket, and it was a touchdown. Like, I, I, I remember I looked at that, and I was like, what do you do? Like, how do you defend that? Like what I, what do you do? That's what I was saying. And I was, I was also stuttering over my words exactly like that. I I was just stunned at what I just saw because I mean, he's just, he's unbelievable. He's truly unbelievable. A treat, a treat to watch. He really is. Um, we could talk about the Broncos, but I don't want to because they're not fun to talk about right now. Still very boring. Uh, not a fun game to watch that game with not, not entertaining. Uh, very much. I mean, there was a little bit of an offensive output from the Raiders. I mean, they looked like they had a decent offensive output, but Broncos, not so much. Two and two, and they could very easily, very easily be 0-4. I, uh, you know, I would not be surprised with them being 0-4. If you showed me the stat line for their team without showing me their record, I would believe that they were 0-4. I'm being completely 100% honest with you. Uh, the Raiders had the, according to ESPN, uh, the win probability in their favor the entire time. The Broncos led. Uh, seven to three in the first quarter, but they didn't lead again after that. It was tied, or they didn't gain the lead back since then. And basically, the 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 Raiders won that game. Um, not ran away with it, but they didn't bring they didn't let uh, the the Broncos have the lead again. So, you know, uh, twelve first downs for the Broncos, two hundred and ninety nine total yards. It was a bad day for the Broncos, to be honest with you. Uh, very disappointing. Uh, Russell Wilson was more efficient though, seventeen of twenty five. That was good to see, but two hundred and thirty seven yards is still. I mean, that's so low for Russell Wilson. He should be launching the ball downfield. They also lost Javante Williams, which is a huge loss for the Broncos, a solid running back for them. Still have Melvin Gordon, who's pretty good. I think Javante Williams, down the long run, though, is the better quarterback, or excuse me, the better running back for the Broncos, and uh, him tearing his ACL, his LCL, that's a that's a huge loss for the Broncos as well. So um, it doesn't feel like it's getting any better, to be honest with you. 23 points is still... Sure, I mean, I guess that's pretty good, but there's only so long that that defense can hold out week in and week out before, you know, uh, you have a, one of these games where you give up. I mean, they held Derek Carr to 188 yards, which is, you know, that's fine. Hey, 21 for 34, 188 yards is, you know, if you're holding a, an opposing quarterback to under 200 yards, you're you're doing pretty good, you'd think, but they also gave up 144 yards on the ground to Josh Jacobs and two touchdowns. So, and nine receptions for 101 yards to Devontae Adams. So, you know, I, like I said, I, I don't blame really the the Broncos defense. It feels like they've kind of been keeping the Bronco offense 
week in and week out in their games. Um, so yeah, uh, the Bronco offense, they really got, they really got some things they got to figure out and, uh, clock is ticking. Uh, the hardest division in the league. You're zero and two uh, away, or excuse me, you're uh, two and two total. Zero uh, and one against your division now, and we'll see. I, I really don't know what to expect from the Broncos heading down the line. Uh, I think you have the quarterback to get you there. I just don't know if, and you, and you have the pieces to get you where you want to go. I think, like I said before the season, I think they were a Super Bowl or a bus team. And it feels like right now uh, they have the pieces. It just feels like they're missing the scheme and so on and so forth. You know, we'll just have to see where it goes. And Thursday night football, woof, woof. It's a tough, it's a tough night for Thursday night football this week. Uh, Broncos, Broncos, Colts. I don't know if you could pay me to watch that game, to be honest with you. I don't know if I'm going to watch that, even though I kind of have to just to seem somewhat informed on the Broncos. I don't know if I want to watch that game because that is a, Garbage matchup. Please stop making me watch the Broncos in prime time. Stop putting them in the afternoon games. Put them in the early morning games until they drop like 37 points and Russell Wilson throws for like 375 yards and completes like 70% of his passes. That should be the baseline from the Broncos from here on out. If Russell Wilson throws for 375 yards and completes like 65 to 70% of his passes and they scored 35 plus points, then you could put them back in prime time. But until then, they're in the 11 a.m. slot from here on out. That's that's the rule I should make. That's the rule that they should make up in the NFL. Stop giving them the afternoon games, okay? And the afternoon slate was bad in general this week, but, I mean, that was one of them, obviously. So that's the way I feel about the Broncos. That's how they are right now, I think. I hope they can get it together because it's a lot more fun to watch when they're playing well, obviously. Uh, that's going to wrap up the show, though, I think. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in. I went on a couple of rants. Talked about baseball a lot, um, but only because, you know, playoffs right around the corner. So get excited. All right. I'm telling you, get excited. Uh, and yeah, football still in play. Four weeks in, we're already a quarter of the season done pretty much. That's depressing. But hey, you know, it's still three quarters. Are you glass half full, glass half empty? I'm glass half full. Three quarters of the football season still to go, as well as MLB playoffs. So get excited, ladies and gentlemen. We're getting into arguably the best time of year. And I think with that, we're going to wrap up today. Thank you very much for tuning in. This has been the Weekend Sports Rep Podcast. I've been your host, James Timberlake. Remember to follow on all those podcast platforms and leave a rating if you don't mind. Five stars if possible. Thank you very much for tuning in. <laughs>